Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. So James, there's actually an advocate for witches in the Catholic Church during the Inquisition? There was, and I, I find that really fascinating that there seems to be a very conflicted relationship between the Catholic Church and witches. Uh, you know, in Exodus 22.18, there's the famous line, Suffer not a witch to live, right. which is basically that you should not tolerate witchcraft and, and witches should be put to death. It was the, that line that gave birth to the hammer of witches, this malleus maleficarum. Um, but also in the Old Testament, we, we see King Saul consulting the witch of Endor, uh, to find out some information on, on from the prophet who had died, Samuel. And so again, we see witches being in service to, to uh, a great Old Testament king. So I went to Spain, and I learned about this cult of St. Columba. Cult of St. Columba. Columba, C-O-L-U-M-B-A. Okay. It flour- this cult flourished during the Middle Ages in Spain, mainly again in northern Spain area, and which was basically considered also a bastion of witches, that whole area. And according to legend, Columba was a witch from the 9th century who went out and met the spirit of Christ on the road, and Christ told her she could not enter heaven unless she converted to Christianity. And so she did. But she remained a witch. She was eventually martyred and beheaded for her faith, and because of that, uh, she became a saint, specifically the patron saint of witches. To this day, not only during the Middle Ages, but even to, to, to current day in Spain, she acts as a protector for witches, you know, interceding on the behalf of good witches while fighting against those who would corrupt such craft for evil purposes. Now, I spoke to another historian to try to find out, is there any validity to this legend? Uh, is there any historical evidence that St. Columba existed? And this historian said basically that he believed that the, the cult of St. Columba was based on the fact that there were many women back during the Middle Ages, educated women, who studied the natural world, who sought medicine and herbs, they were drawing upon pagan knowledge. Now, some were accused of witchcraft, they were poisoned by priests, they were burned at the stake. But there are others who, because this is going on, they saw, they saw shelter in nunneries and monasteries. Were like St. Columba, uh, they could worship Christ, yet at the same time they were planting secret gardens in these convents and in these nunneries, and they were helping to treat the sick and afflicted. And so they were basically smudging the line between paganism and Christianity. You know, here are women, nuns that were, you know, planting the same sort of secret gardens, these pagan gardens, yet because they were within the walls of the convent, they were considered to be, you know, wise women, uh, uh, nuns serving Christ. Yet if those same gardens were, were planted outside those convent walls and were, were uh, being cultivated by just some village woman, she was a witch. So they believe that the cult of St. Columba, the, this, this legend of St. Columba, goes back to that there were women, there were these women that would normally be considered witches, that sought solace, sought, sought safety within, within convents and nunneries where they could still practice these pagan rites uh, again, whilst at the same time uh, wearing the cloth of nuns. How many witches were there, percentage-wise, James, in, that, in, the, in, the, in those days? Well, again, they attribute the number of deaths to uh, the Malleus Malafarcum at, at 60,000 souls during, those, during the 4th uh, century. And, and, and many of them probably not witches. 
They were probably oh, just in the wrong place at the wrong time, huh? Exactly, and there's there's a a history in the glacial area where uh, I use it, I use this quote at the beginning of my book. It says, "There's a, an old Galician proverb from from northern Spain. I don't believe in witches, but they do exist." And that is pretty much the philosophy of that area. Uh, there are uh, caves in the Pyrenees Mountains of northern Spain that, to this day, uh, are considered to be areas where Sabbaths are enacted. Uh, there, to this day, people that do believe that witches are still still in those mountains, still produce, still uh, practicing different arts, both from from the uh, the good side of the Wiccan side and the bad side and that uh, they're still celebrated up there. Now, tie this into the crucible, and how do we get into artificial intelligence? How does that tie in? Well, this goes back to the fact that the persecution of witches pretty much was a way of persecuting women, especially women that dared question the natural order. And at the beginning of this book, we do see a group of women that have banded together, a group of women scientists in present day, that have uh, banded together. Because, again, even today, especially in the sciences, there's still a lot of persecution of, of, of female scientists. Uh, there's a lot of sexism in, in the scientific world when it comes to women that are, that are trying to do research. There's a lot of sort of Me Too type of issues going on in that, in that field. The, take, for example, the woman that won the Nobel Prize for Physics this year. She was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize in Physics in 100 years. Which is brilliant. Exactly. So, at, you know, this point, the crux of the story is, you know, even though we may not be burning women at the stake today, uh, there is still some persecution going on. So in Crucible, we have a group of women scientists. They actually even take on the mantle by calling themselves Bruxis International. Bruxis is the Portuguese word for witches. They do rather uh-huh. than shying away from that designation, they lean into it. Um, so they, unfortunately, this occurs in, in, in Portugal and Spain, and it arises, uh, attracts the interest of this, the shadowy crucibellum, uh, the crucible that still might exist, this sort of harsh core of the Spanish Inquisition. Mara, this AI researcher, is demonstrating her craft, her, her breakthrough she has in AI research, and uh, during that seminar, the crucible attacks them. They murders most of the women. Mara escapes with her technology and is on the run. And throughout this book, uh, we see sort of the evolution of a of Eve, which is a uh, Mara's Mara's AI program. And there are scenes from this uh, in this book from Eve's point of view. From the beginning, we see this sort of cold calculating machine, and we see what potential that could become. And I talked to a lot of researchers about this threat. You know, how close are we to this threat? Some think we're already there. Some think it's just it's going to happen in our lifetime. And they're all very concerned about what's going to happen when this threshold's crossed. Because once we have an artificial intelligence that's equivalent to our intelligence, it's probably going to become a superintelligence very quickly, and it's going to be almost incomprehensible and potentially a threat. So I pose this question to these AI researchers. I said, okay, great. If this is happening, what can we do to make sure that this AI that uh, makes an appearance in the next uh, 5 to 10 years, 5 to 15 years, from becoming a malignant intelligence that's going to share this planet with us? What? Uh, and their answer... Go ahead. Their answer, again, was... Uh, and this, was, this came from a founder of Skype, that the answer 
and the only answer, we're not going to be able to regulate our way out of this situation. Uh, we're never going to be able to regulate people uh, from stopping this from happening. The Silicon Valley has sort of a weird philosophy of, you know, <clears throat> you know, go fast or, 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 or die slow. Right. And, and every two years go fast. Yeah, just they, they, they're pursuing AI. Every, everybody's pursuing AI at, at, a, at a very rapid pace right now. It's basically almost like a gold rush because it uh, can be extremely profitable and extremely powerful tool. So everybody's after it. Uh, that threshold will be crossed. Uh, but the question is, what's, going to, what's, that, what's, that intelli- what's that intelligence going to look like and how is that going to act? And so there are a small core of AI researchers, including the founder of, of Skype, who believes that the answer is not to just go for AI, but to pursue the harder road to produce the first friendly AI, an AI that's sympathetic and empathetic to hu- humankind. Is that possible? To these, that's, that was exactly my question. <laughs> Thanks for asking that, George. There you go. <laughs> that was my exact Well, how can you do that? How do you, how do you, how do you know it's going to be friendly? Tuesdays on The CW, from the executive producer of The Vampire Diaries and The Originals, comes the incredible story about making contact. Get ready for the highly anticipated arrival of the new series Roswell, New Mexico, when Liz Ortega returns to her sleepy yet legendary hometown of Roswell. She's reunited with high school crush Max Evans, small-town cop, with an extraordinary secret. Drawn together as if by some unseen force of attraction, Max reveals to Liz that he's an alien who fell to Earth during the infamous UFO crash of 1947. From another world, he and his brother and sister have lived their entire lives in secret, never telling a soul the truth about what they are or the mind-blowing powers they each possess. When Max's family finds out that he has broken their vow of secrecy, events are set in motion that will rock the entire town of Roswell to its core. Don't miss the unbelievable new series Roswell, New Mexico, Tuesdays only on the CW. And so they again, I, I calling different answers from different AI researchers about different techniques they believe that can uh, help with that. And it comes a matter of sort of nature versus nurture. You know, there, that's a, a, a debate that goes on how much of who we are is from our genetics and how much of who we are is how we're raised. And the same applies to this AI that potentially is going to come onto, onto, this, onto the world stage. Uh, a part of way of making it friendly is uh, tied to code, a way of coding your way to try to make it friendly. But also the nurture side it is, is you know, how to raise this AI so it's going to be friendly. So I culled all this information from these different AI researchers about the steps necessary to produce a friendly AI. And that's what I, I used as my template for showing the evolution of Eve in my novel is by using some of these, these, these programs. I'll give, you, I'll give you one example. Okay. The basis of a lot of human emotions, what drives our emotions, is our hormones. Hormones drive our emotions. So rather than trying to control the emotions of an, of an AI from the standpoint of, of controlling their or, or trying to code in emotions, <clears throat> IBM has developed what's called an endocrine, endocrine mirror program, which is basically a hormonal mirror program. Basically, they're an algorithm that will mimic the hormones we have in our body. And if we can instill these, these hormone codes into our AI, theoretically, then these hormones then will be the, what will bring about the emotions we want to, to engender in the AI. And so that's from the aspect of um, 
controlling nature of the AI, controlling the code of the AI, is by imbuing it with these these endocrine or hormonal mirror programs so that hopefully it will it will develop into something that's that's emotionally stable. Was- Other side, that's that's uh, that's controlling the the nature side, controlling the the nurture side. Again, uh, uh, some of the other answers I was getting from these AI researchers were: you almost have to treat an AI like a child. Is pre- first shelter it, you know, produce a uh, a virtual world in which its AI can grow and learn slowly about the world at large, versus just thrusting it into the 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 chaos that is uh, the internet today. Is and is keep it somewhat confined like you would a child and slowly let it mature within this confined environment before you and, and layer by layer expose this, this AI to the, to the world at large, almost like a parent would raise a child. If you uh, raise a child in a safe, caring environment, you're most likely going to have a, a stable child. If you are very abusive and uh, callous and isolating with this child, you may end up with something sociopathic. Yeah. So that's what the novel is, is combining both nature and nurture, both code and upbringing, to see this AI come to fruition. Now, it's only a small percentage of AI researchers that are pursuing this. You know, if if this book serves anything, it's a cautionary tale about maybe we need to have more scientists pursuing this avenue, because... If we do cross that threshold with an AI that's that's poorly controlled, poorly constructed, uh, thrown into an environment that's confusing to it when it's when it's developing self-awareness, we're going to probably create an invention that's going to be our own end. Is that what Stephen Hawking was concerned about? The late that's physicist. That's exactly what he was concerned about, and not just him. You know, there was a there was a uh, open letter that was signed by. A group of scientists. hundred different right? signatories, yeah. uh, from Elon Musk to Stephen Hawking to leaders of Google and Apple, uh, basically calling out that we need to slow down on our uh, rapid pace towards AI development. We need to rethink this path. We need to, we're never going to regulate our way out of this because at some point, some country some secret lab is still going to pursue this yeah. because it is such a valuable prize, but maybe we need to look at creating this avatar, creating this friendly AI, so that if a malignant AI ever arises, that we have somebody, this AI, that can compete, some an AI that will be our avatar, an AI that's going to help us deal with any malignancy that does arise. Something that will save us, right? Exactly. How can AI run a, run amok? What could happen to it? Well, that is the main concern, is that we have very little understanding of what's going on. This was, this was the other thing that really disturbed me, is I kept hearing from AI researchers over and over the term an algorithmic black box. <laughs> and what that basically means is that even today, we do not know on some of these advanced AI programs out there, and there's some powerful programs out there that we can talk about, like uh, Google's uh, AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero. There's some incredible AI machines out there already, and, and what I've learned, they're already past that. But what even at this point, most AI researchers, they, they construct the code, they build the machine, they put in data, and an output occurs. 
they cannot explain oftentimes how that AI came to that conclusion, how it digested that data in that's, such a way that this is their answer. That's dangerous that. it, if they don't know exactly. how. It's so dangerous that DARPA has given $6.5 million to the University of Oregon specifically to try to get a better handle on how AIs think, because they think that is, again, another way of, of <clears throat> preventing a malignant AI from coming on stage is we need to understand how it thinks, because right now we do not know. In many cases, this algorithmic black box, you know, we, it's something that's unknowable at this point. And so that's one concern, is that we don't know how these AIs think at this point. Number two, um, how are you going to confine an AI? There was an experiment done about 10 years ago. It was called the AI box experiment. In this experiment, there was a uh, researcher in the Bay Area, an AI researcher, a very smart, smart gentleman. He was basically put in a virtual chat room and locked in there. There was a cash prize. That's like going to hell. AI researchers. Pardon me? That's like going to hell. Exactly. <laughs> it is going to hell. So he, had a, he offered a cash prize for other AI researchers to challenge him, to see if he could talk himself out, pretending to be AI himself, again, a human level of intelligence. And trick people. Could he talk himself out of this locked room, out of this locked box? So AI researcher after AI researcher, they were going to give him a prize if they could keep him locked up. Everybody failed. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.